1: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Joining me today in studio is Pamela Prime. Now, Pamela, you touch on a very valid point that I want to have you sort of underscore, uh, bold and italicize for a moment. And that is that we never quite know when we're done with it all in the sense of that that healing process and that grieving process. We we tend sometimes to be... uh, Take such a a formula approach to this. A very close friend of mine who lost her husband two and a half, three years ago commented to me the other day that, you know, I'm really having a tough time because I'm not over it yet. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that statement and I, I finally said to her, I said, you know, is this something you really want to get over? You were married for, what, 45, almost 50 years? Is that something you want to get over? When you say get over it, what what do you mean? You mean forget about your marriage and three-quarters of your life? Are you saying that you want to forget all of the pain? And maybe part of the problem here is that our approach to pain is to avoid it or to be anesthetized from it instead of growing through it. And it seems like what you discovered is walking through Scripture, you realize that this is a process that we don't go around, but we have to go through, and that we can actually grow through that pain, and that that process is not necessarily something that's instantaneous like, you know, a cup of cold water in the microwave and 30 seconds later you got boiling water, that it might be a lifetime.
2: Absolutely. I think our life is spent um, growing and maturing in our spirituality and our awareness of who we are and who God is and how we are in relationship. You know, I, I really think that to understand that we are God's beloved, we have to walk the path. We can't, we just don't. Uh, I don't know, there's some way, and I don't like to use the word, we earn the awareness of we are God's beloved, but we certainly have to reach deep into our souls to experience that's who we are. And if we have blocks there because we haven't felt the pain or the anger or the fear, then we aren't going to get to that place
0: of joy and wonder and acceptance of God's love. Panel the Prime is with us today. The book, When the Moon is Dark, We Can See the Stars. Part of this challenge of managing pain and grief and loss... It tends to have a bit of family legacy or history to it, doesn't it? At one point in the book, you talk about um, sort of that history of having grown up and then later on in life carrying on that sense of that, you know, we don't trust, we don't feel, we don't tell. There are a lot of families that are like that. Yes. Uh, Things that go on inside the family that might be a family secret. Uh, It can be something severe on that end or just simply a pattern in which we shut off feelings and emotions as a way of dealing with them. And, of course, we know that that ends up warping our relationships and and certainly our relationship with God. What was the turning point for you to begin to say that, you know, that that legacy, so to speak, that you had been raised with and it continued on in your life of that don't trust, don't feel, don't tell? At what point did you say, we need to short-circuit this?
2: I think the beginning was the death of Maggie. Because I had to feel those feelings. There was no way I could get out from underneath them. But I had another experience of being in the kitchen with my papers, getting ready to teach uh, CCD, a class on Christian education, mm-hmm. to the sixth graders. And the topic was God's love. And And I sat there looking out the window and I thought, how am I going to teach these children about God's love? And I, And I was looking at the flowers. It was spring and the flowers were beautiful. And I was thinking, well, one way I could teach them was would just take them out into the, the fields and the gardens and talk about the beauty of nature and how God has given this all to us. And suddenly I had this awareness of God's love that was so overwhelming that I felt it in every cell of my body. Hmm. And I went running to the Bible. At that point in my life, I don't think I didn't even have a Bible. Um, I, I had one family bible in the house but i didn't have one that i read every day and i grabbed this family bible and i started pouring through it because i wanted to know who this god was that was loving me beyond anything i could possibly ever imagine and i knew at that point that it wasn't just me that it was everyone and everything in creation that this love was just beyond anything that i possibly had ever experienced or i
0: sometimes get blinded to that, like the proverbial horse with the blinders on. We see just down that narrow yeah. tunnel of the road ahead of us. And you, know, you would think of the example that you'd say, how do we demonstrate God's love when there's so much pain in the earth and there's so much suffering? Exactly and To try to explain to a young child who could, as you're talking about God is love and what we see demonstrated of God's love through the sacrifice of his son in scripture, who couldn't readily raise a hand and say, but wait a minute how yeah. do you explain away the fact that my daddy was killed in the war mm-hmm. or mommy and daddy are no longer married or you know whatever a child might bring up is the pain that they're they're dealing with and to to be able to see that god's love transcends all of that yes and that he loves us through those painful experiences he walks
2: with us carries us i mean tears with us And uh, I I think sometimes we focus so much on what's wrong that we forget about focusing on what's exquisite and on,
0: on God. Do we have to work hard? That passage in Scripture comes to mind, labor to enter into his rest. Do we have to work hard to labor into experiencing his joy? And I ask that question because some people may just want to plop themselves down in a room and say, Okay, God, make it all happen. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> this is a journey, isn't it? It definitely is a journey. You I mean, talk that- in the book about praying and fasting mm-hmm. and reading, and you even went back to school. You were studying uh, theology with the Jesuits. Yes, there's some effort at this, isn't there?
2: Well, there is an effort, but there's also uh, there's also the experience of God causing that effort. Do you know there's some way in which I was called into prayer and called to study and called to search and Called because the longing that I had in me that I was feeling was really God longing for me, Mm. and it was my response. And the
0: deeper you go in, the deeper He draws you in.
2: Well, yes, because you're because then you're available Mm. to God for those calls. So it's it's a really it's a love relationship, really, and um, I think that lover wants all of us.
0: (laughs) He does indeed, doesn't he? (laughs) Yes on this edition of Lifeline. Pamela Prime is with us today. We're going to take a brief time out, have her share some closing thoughts as this edition of Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Joining me today in studio is Pamela Prime, author of When the Moon is Dark, We Can See the Stars. So Pamela, as we were talking just before the break, There is a longing of God's creation for him. And really, there's also God who longs for us. And of course, the deeper we go in that longing, the deeper he draws us in. Um, There's so much we see in Scripture about surrendering. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly, Christ ultimately modeled that. My goodness, the, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes. And knowing the pain that he knew he would be facing, and yet, to be able to have the stamina to say, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Yes. And even in that moment. Yes. Christ demonstrated to us what it means to fully surrender to God. And then watch as we see that story unfold from Gethsemane to then Golgotha and eventually on that hill hung on the tree. And then, of course, the good news of the resurrection on the yes. third day. We see how God was there through all of that, even at the moment when he utters, God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. We we fully understand that, in fact, God had not forsaken him at any point. And maybe that's the big important message that, that readers can extrapolate from your book, that even though we go through these experiences, as you recount the story of losing Maggie, Sean to suicide at the age of 16, your marriage after 23 years... That God is still with us, even though sometimes it doesn't always feel like that. Yes. He hasn't forsaken us. And if we will reach out to Him, He will reach back to us, won't He?
2: Well... I think God is reaching out to us before we reach out to God. Yeah, that's you know, right. I think we're already <laughs> yeah. in God's this is lap. is very true, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, God is waiting for
0: us. Although but, God was never lost. No,
2: God was never <laughs> lost. I, I remember just getting so so upset and so sad one day because we had moved and I was in a place that I had never lived before and. A neighborhood that was very foreign to me we moved from the from the east coast was this
0: the tennessee experience yeah, to yeah. tennessee mm-hmm.
2: and i that's where i really was lonely and isolated and and really depressed uh, yeah, from I got the a, east
0: coast or, or walnut creek on the other end and then tennessee that's a culture right. shock and this?
2: yeah and so I, I was like a fish out of water really and i remember just plunking myself down in this chair and and just raising my eyes and and my hands and saying god where are you and I heard back. I thought you'd never ask.
0: <laughs> you know, I was there all the time. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: exactly. And that was I was another turning point. It was you know these these moments where I realized I would realize that I had this magnificent relationship, this magnificent love relationship, and uh, you know God was always. Poking at me and and trying to wake me up to that
0: those peaks on the uh, the Richter scale like exactly. an earthquake you know they don't happen all the time right but those earthquakes that sometimes can jostle us yes they can be upsetting like some of the events in life can be upsetting yeah and yet they can also be those those shocking moments that will awaken a sense of the spiritual in us that's right drive us back toward scripture back toward. The foot of the cross. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, when life is going well, what do you need God for? But it's in those moments when life is shaking us like an earthquake that we suddenly now can open our eyes and, and realize that it's more about than just the pain and the loss and the grieving and the trying to figure it out. It's about allowing God to love us in and through those negative experiences, the terrible things that most of the world works very hard to try to avoid or anesthetize the pain of. And experience God in the pain. Yeah. yeah. You know, Paul talked about knowing Christ in the power of the resurrection. And people like to put the period right there. Boom. I like that. Boy, the resurrection. Look at that. Raised from the dead. Can't beat that. Right. But he doesn't end there. He goes on to say, and in the fellowship of his sufferings. And we we like that power of the resurrection part, but getting to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings and realizing, as you mentioned earlier, that he knows. He can relate. He knows mm-hmm. what we're going through. Exactly. And in and through that, then we can find that sense of, of peace and comfort that surpasses all understanding. Yes. Yeah. And that certainly has been your experience, hasn't it?
2: It really has been my experience. And that's really why I wrote the book, because I feel very blessed. I I find now, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but the majority of my prayer is a prayer of gratitude mm-hmm. because of my life. I just feel deeply blessed. I have a beautiful marriage and live in a beautiful part of the world, and I don't know. God is just blessing me. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about briefly the beautiful part of the world that you live in, down in in (laughs) Twainheart. You and your husband um, operate just a, a wonderful location there. You've had a retreat center for many, many years that I understand is now available. And boy, a family looking for a great place to get away to or maybe um, even a religious organization that says, hey, we'd like to just get a, a, a small, neat little retreat center in the middle of the spectacular uh, California Redwoods. You're about an hour north of Yosemite, so listeners that know the Twain Heart area immediately know we're talking about a little slice of heaven here on this side. Um, you've got a beautiful piece of property there. Tell us a bit I about do. it.
2: Well, it's, uh, it's five acres, and um, when Dave and I moved there, we started to recreate it. It had fallen into great disrepair, so we rebuilt the house uh, completely, really. I think there was one stick left by the time <laughs> the contractor got in and started ripping things out. Uh, and so we built a beautiful home, but then we built a tree house that's 35 feet above the ground, and uh, that was all architecturally designed and built by a, by a man from Maine who we brought to help us build this and the community built it on the ground, and we lifted it up with a crane. Uh, we've had a lot of fun on the property. The property has a lake that's all spring-fed, and it has a stream that goes through it. And then we have another guest house that's on the lake, that it floats on the lake. It has a float, and uh, these buildings are yurts. We have a writer's studio, and we also have another yurt that was really our chapel. And, um we did healing circles every month, and you have done a lot of writing there on the property. Too, I have. You? I,
0: I moved there to write, and so that's where I wrote the book. So, it really, is is the kind of environment that can allow you to get away from the madness of uh, of all the, the busyness of the big city, so yes. to speak. And and you know, what better place if you're looking to reconnect with God? Or go deeper with God and to get out there in his creation, where you suddenly realize that sparrows cast shadows when the sun is in the right direction, um, and that there's other noise than the sound of passing fire engines and helicopters in the airport nearby, Mm -hmm. and really be able to kind of just... bask in the glory of that creation.
2: Yes, it's beautiful. It's very peaceful. People say when they come on retreat, uh, we have three guest houses for retreats. They say, uh, this place is magical. Or they say, it's so peaceful. And we've had, I think that the place has just grown in terms of its sense. You know, when you go in a church, you feel really a beautiful energy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because people pray there. And many, many people have come to the property and, and prayed and meditated and done retreats. So you feel that energy on the property, aside from the fact that the trees and the water are exquisite energetically, and the birds and all the
0: little animals that live there. And as beautiful as a, a chapel can be, it's still made by the hands of man, and yet you're you're in a chapel there that is literally created by the very hand of God himself. Exactly. You can't really compete with that, can no, you? No, you can't. Folks want to get more information, um, I'll send you to the website, twobearsdancing.org. That's twobearsdancing.org. And I want to thank Pamela Prime for dropping by and sharing today. It's been great to visit with you. Thank you, Craig. More information again on the web, twobearsdancing.org.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: She's somebody's daughter, somebody's child.
1: Somebody's pride and joy Somebody loves her for who she is inside She has a mother and father She's
0: somebody's daughter She is somebody's daughter. You know, I don't think we ever think of the issue of pornography in that fashion. Typically, it's an unknown face without a name, somebody that doesn't seem to be connected in any level toward reality, and, and as a result, the purveyors of this, uh, those who are making huge amounts of money uh, at the distribution, publication and distribution of pornography, really don't think about the impact, and yet it has a significant impact, and not only on the lives of, of those who are consuming the material, but those who are participating in it from an economic standpoint. Steve Siller joins us on the program. He is founder of Music for the Soul and executive producer of uh, part of the song you just heard there a moment ago, uh, highlighted um, Somebody's Daughter. And Steve, thanks so much for taking time to be with us tonight.
1: Craig, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You
0: know, the lyrics to your song certainly bring it home back to a, a level of reality that I suspect... Uh, most people um, who are trapped in a world of um, con- consuming a pornography, I don't quite know how, else how, how to phrase that, mm-hmm. uh, don't really ever stop to think about the fact that, you know what, these are these are real people. These are real lives here.
1: Mm-hmm. Human beings. Uh, whenever I talk to people about this uh, out, out in uh, churches and in schools and the like, I always ask the question, uh, you know, if if this woman in the, in the video were your uh, little sister, would that be okay? If it were your uh, wife or your girlfriend or your mother, how would how would that be? And 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 generally, you just see heads start to drop around the room as, as people realize that that these are human beings. And I think the thing that is so alarming is is the desensitization that has gone on, and how we uh, in the church have kind of Uh, allowed ourselves to be taken along with that tide rather than opposing it.
0: Yeah, indeed. And, you know, when we think about this, part of the motivation, of course, gets down to a core issue of man's sin nature, uh, our our Mm -hmm. fallen condition in which uh, we get pulled into all of this, and not only from the standpoint of consuming it, but then this is big business, isn't it? It's major money here.
1: Oh, it's a billion-dollar industry. Pornography itself, worldwide, is is, is above fifty billion. Uh, child pornography is above three billion. So there's there's a ton of money here, and and you know just thinking about sex and how it sells. There was something on on Tuesday morning on Good Morning America that for me pointed out where we are, what time of the day it is. On this, it's eleven fifty nine. The new uh, Britney Spears album has just come out. And they did a 15-minute piece celebrating her career. And this is at 9 o'clock in the morning. And they are showing videos of her songs that basically feature groups of half-naked young people riding all over one another. And the entire piece is just a tribute to her. There There is not one word as to you know whether or not this is a good thing <laughs> uh, and, and I think that, you know I, I doubt very seriously that the, that the ABC switchboard was swamped with uh, disapproving phone calls and that's what I mean when I say we've kind of gone along with it uh, the kind of wholesale uh, softcore pornography that you see in any mall that you see uh you know uh, the the Washington Redskins football uh calendar had a cheerleader on the cover that was topless she had her arms positioned uh, you know in a way to hide it a little bit but basically this is the kind of stuff that's going on and we uh, participate in the culture we go we shop at the mall uh, we you know we watch the television shows and we don't realize that by by going along with this we are help creating a climate where our young people are are learning a, a model for intimacy that is not going to serve them at all
0: we 've become terribly desensitized to all of this haven 't we? I mean, uh, down through the years as society and culture have changed, and I, I would suspect in a significant fashion since the advent of the internet uh, that brings oh, yes. all of this into your home with the touch of a finger, oftentimes whether you want it or not uh, well, yes, uh, that, we, that maybe yeah. maybe a lot of people. Good, decent people, uh, people that recognize that, that there is damage and injury that suffered mm-hmm. here uh, when you engage in this kind of behavior on both ends of the perspective, um, have finally maybe just kind of, what, thrown in the towel, Steve, and figured, you know what, this thing has become so big, so out of control, so behemoth, that it's hardly worth not even fighting anymore, because it seems as if you're fighting a losing battle.
1: Well, I've actually heard some Christians say that, and, and it really breaks my heart, because my feeling is you, you wouldn't let your children go out and play in the front yard without teaching them to hold hands and and look both ways before they cross the street. And yet day after day after day we equip our, our young people with devices that access this material and not even just access it that, that allow them to create their own uh, material. I mean that's happening as well now and we are you know we are not equipping, our young people, to, to deal with the culture they're growing up in. Uh, and, and I, I really want to make the point that, that pornography is not about sex. Pornography is about, uh, it's a fantasy experience. You, you know, you, you, you cut off the, the power and the screen goes blank. Uh, this is about using a fantasy experience and, and using people because you're taking something. From those people in in the uh, in the video or the magazine or whatever, you're taking something from from them without giving anything back, and I think that's what's so dangerous about it. it. It creates a false model of intimacy, and what's even scarier is that there is new brain science that shows that pornography is actually rewiring and brain mapping, uh, you know, traditional intimacy right out of
0: our kids. Well, and I'm wondering if at that level, Steve, we're not watching a major paradigm shift taking place in society overall. I mean, we've seen great celebratory comments related to things like Facebook and its role in in such matters as the toppling of Mubarak in Egypt and the notion that with the Internet and social media, you know, even as much as a, a horrible uh, dictatorship would try to clamp down on information, getting around Mm -hmm. to people or out of a a given country uh, that this has sort of been the feather pillow from which you'll never stuff all the feathers back into again. So as much as it's being celebrated, it's helping people get connected and stay together. My goodness, here on Facebook, I ran across a buddy from high school from 50 years ago. How wonderful Mm -hmm. that is. And yet Mm -hmm. it's creating, I would suspect, this sense of of not just false intimacy, but these walls where all of a sudden now levels at which in normative relationships, in Mm -hmm. historically normal relationships, relationships uh it, it just it's, it's shifted the terms of engagement
1: it, it has and, and and facebook and and the internet and all the technologies of themselves they're not evil it, it is always a matter of how we're going to use those technologies and you're right those technologies can be used for good and and i mean here we are talking on the radio and, and sharing this message so you know i, I don't encourage people to be uh To be down on technology, I I encourage responsible use of technology. And just for a moment, I feel like I didn't really address your question about uh, the the people who feel hopeless about this. I mean, I always come back to God's mercies being new every morning. He's given us another day. He's given us new children being born into the world. Obviously, if He's given us a new day and new life, then there is hope and there is a chance. and, and, And responsible people... People who are moral, not just Christian people, people uh, of all uh, faiths and backgrounds who are moral have a responsibility to step up and protect our kids. The the truth of the matter is, 100% of our kids are going to see pornography before they graduate from high school in this culture. So, you know, people are always asking me what the statistics are. At this point, I think you can throw them all out the window. You're right. The feathers are out of the pillow. This is the world we live in. Our only choice now is how will we respond to it, how will we mentor our kids, how will we get healthy, how will we shine the light of truth in the Church on this issue
0: let 's pause on that point when we come back let 's see if we can 't touch on some of the answers to those critical questions. I mean all right, if we recognize the fact as you point out, um, our kids are going to be exposed to this. There are those listening right now, housewives and you know folks say, I never went looking for this, and I went to this website looking for a recipe and all of a sudden, we all know what the spam does and so forth. How do you go about equipping your kids? to understand what this is and and countering what appears to be some very mixed messages. I mean, mom and dad and the church are all saying that this is not good, not healthy, um, is going to be potentially ruinous to your ability to carry on a healthy, proper relationship. And yet... If it's so bad, why is it so prevalent? We'll answer that question as well. Steve Siller, my guest, founder of Music for the Soul, executive producer of Somebody's Daughter. We're talking today about um, a recent uh, Harvard Crimson article on pornographic pornography uh, and the question of ethics and uh, how addiction to pornography can be so ruinous to so many aspects of normal living. Back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. Our conversation with Steve Siller, who is, by the way, the executive producer of the uh, highlight of the tune you just heard a moment ago, Somebody's Daughter. We're talking about the impact of pornography and the challenges that we face in trying to bring balance to this topic. I mean, it was challenging 30, 40, 50 years ago with the advent of of, of certain publications out there, you know, the the Hugh Hefner's of the world, uh, uh, Larry Flint's and those. Uh, Now, with the advent of the World Wide Web, it's impossible to control it. And as Steve points out, parents face the fact your children, like it or not, will be exposed to pornography. The question is, how will they react to it? Will they see it? Will they balance biblical Perspective And toward that end, is, is it problematic and challenging, particularly for young people, Steve, because as much as uh, parents in the church and those in the know are trying to warn kids about the impact of all of this, that it's not just something that's, that's ooh, nasty, but it can create false intimacy that later on can damage uh, the ability to carry on a normal relationship with a spouse. But but then, too, that notion that we're trying to combat something here with so many mixed messages in the general public that I would imagine, but a lot of teenagers look at this and say, well, wait a minute. You know, if it's so bad and so terrible, how come it's so pervasive?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I think we have to do, and as Christian parents, as, as parents in general, it's it's not easy. Because, I mean, you know, we've all heard about the talk, right, <laughs> ever since we oh, were yes. kids.
0: Oh, the talk.
1: The, the point is, I think one of the first things we can do for our kids, you know, we always tell our kids at church, the truth will set them free. Uh, then we don't tell about the truth that they're living through. And I think what we need to say to them is, look, it's natural to have curiosity about sex. God created sex. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It is exciting. But you want to experience it in the proper context and with a proper understanding of its power. So toward that end, let me share with you why pornography is not the proper way to experience sex. I th- but I think that starting point is admitting, yeah, this is exciting this is this, this gets you worked up and and I think I know kids hate to be manipulated. Whenever I talk to high school kids and even college kids, I always tell them, don't you realize the pornographers are manipulating your natural hormones to their financial advantage. They don't care about you. They don't care whether this is going to ruin your ability to have intimacy. They don't care whether it's going to mess up your relationship with your girlfriend. They don't care about any of that. They just want to get you hooked when you're young so they'll have a customer for life. And I think when kids realize that... They can get a little angry, and that's when I think they have a chance against this stuff. When they value themselves enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to be tricked into spending, you know, ruining my intimacy and spending and my worth and my value uh, throwing it away on this stuff.
0: <sighs> the talk. How, how soon should we begin the talk? How how educated do parents need to get ahead of it? You know, and I know that sounds like an odd question, it's like I'm your parent, of course I understand how the birds and the bees work. If I didn't you wouldn't be here. Well, but yet it's changed so drastically. Steve, even from when I was a kid, and I'm 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 you know, I'm certainly no kid, but I'm no fossil either. It's changed so dramatically to try to be able to understand and relate to these kids as they're dealing with the barrage of not just the internet but now cell phones and texting and sexting and all this
1: too. Mm hmm hmm Well, I think, yes, parents have to, have to be educated. In fact, uh, there's a number of things I want to say about this. Uh, I, I have a, a, something I've created called the Things You Can Do List, and I want to make sure everybody knows how to get it, because it's free. It's at our website. One of the things that I encourage uh, parents to do is get educated, and I encourage churches to have ongoing parental er- education in this area, because the technology that was the coolest six months ago, you know how that goes. It's out of date already. I mean, kids are able to access this stuff through ways that most parents don't even realize, like through a Wii. You know, I mean, they're, they're, it's crazy what, what the technology can do. And our kids fly this stuff like jet planes because they've been on the technology since they were little. Whereas, you know, folks like us, I mean, we've come to it later in life. So we, we don't even really understand how quickly uh, and how pervasively this stuff can move around. So, yes, education is important. But I think as, as far as having the talk early... Uh, you know we 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 have to understand the kids are seeing this stuff the average age of exposure now to, to pornography i've heard as low as eight the oldest age i've heard in the last year is eleven on average uh... you know i wish we could afford to wait uh... till later because you know we all hate this idea of, of ruining our kids innocence but uh, you know a dear friend of mine his 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 six-year-old was doing a little homework assignment and came across something hardcore so uh, you know and i've heard that story more than once so i just really you know want to encourage people that obviously you need to do things age appropriately but i want to encourage people not to shy away from beginning to have these discussions in a way that will give their kids some guardrails and as far as technology goes i mean parents need to understand. You, know, you need to have all kinds of, of internet accountability and internet filter software on all your computers uh, the, you know the blocking software you need to have it on your phones you need to have it on your televisions. you need to have every computer in the house and pass through rooms. My son is 17 he still doesn't have a computer or a TV in his room and he feels Amish that's too bad <laughs> uh, you know that's just too bad. you know that says our kids are going to go out into the world you got to know your parents friends you got to talk about this stuff it isn't any fun. Like you said, I wish it wasn't true, but it is. got to talk about this stuff, because we can't... I put it this way. We, the Church wants to be a light in the world. We can't be a light in the world until we mentor our own kids. We can't mentor our own kids until we admit that as adults we struggle with it. We need to come clean and get healthy, and we can't do any of that until we just start talking about it. So, to, so for me, somebody's daughter is that light switch that can be turned on in a Church. Start the conversation. And once you do that, there's all sorts of things you can do.
0: Some good insights from Steve Siller, again, executive producer of Somebody's Daughter. Steve, finally, if folks uh, touched by this song would like to get a copy of it, is it available through iTunes or how?
1: Uh, the DVD's on iTunes. The DVD CD set is at our website. They can go to Somebody's or And they can also, to get the three things you can do list, they can go to MusicForTheSoul.org. On the home page, click on pornography, and it'll take you to a page with all sorts of free resources. And I really encourage them to get the things you can do list from our page, print it out, take it to their church, read through it, and find some things that you can begin to do, things you can do personally, things you can do in your family, in your church, and in your community at large to make a difference. Because if we all get involved and start taking a piece of this, we can turn this tide. I really believe we can.
0: Indeed so. Steve Siller, thanks so much for the time. And again, on the web, somebody'sdaughter.org or musicforthesoul.org.